You know, every generation has one. Every generation has a soundtrack of that particular era. It's the music that marks their maturing, their, their coming of age. And in the 50s, you had, of course, Elvis and Buddy Holly, followed by the Beatles and the Stones and, and Jimi Hendrix. And then later on, it was the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, then Madonna and Phil Collins, and on and on and on it goes. But for every era-defining artist, there are dozens of fly-by-night, here-today, gone-tomorrow, what we call one-hit wonders. Those people who chart a hit never to be heard from again. So, songs kind of like this one right here. Check this out. Come on, Eileen, are you kidding me? That's just one example. Here, there's, here's another one. Check this out. You'll remember this. But who could forget the timeless sound of this one? Yeah, baby. Everybody who's laughing right now, you just dated yourself. And I'm right there with you. There's one more that's a little later than those examples, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't include this one in a list of one-hit wonders. Now, I won't do the whole dance because I don't want to make anybody stumble. But the fact of the matter is, that and the fact that I have no rhythm. But the fact is, these one-hit wonders punctuate their particular eras and in a, in a way kind of stand on their own. Even though their artistic and influence footprint is not as great as some others. I mean, there, there are those folks like the Beatles and the Eagles and you 2 who who comprise a body of work across decades that are always growing, always evolving creatively, that we kind of look at and we say, there's something different about them because of their body of work. Their resume across the years has proven their, their worth and their influence. And so we use this term, a body of work. I, I want to suggest to you this morning that a body of work may be the most accurate definition or description for the divine desire and design of God himself for what the church is supposed to be. You and I, those who go by the name Christian, are called, we're commissioned by God to be a body of work. For the last few weeks, we've been immersed in this teaching series beyond Friday Night Lights. And over the last few weeks, we, we've looked at, we've explored and explained how, how the gospel, this, the good news story of Jesus addresses, but not only addresses how it satisfies our soul deep need, our, our craving to belong, our, our, our need for, for community, to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And today as we put a bow on this series and wrap it up, we're, we're going to bring the whole thing full circle. When we started this series back when Moses was a baby, the fact is we, we began with the baseline of Romans chapter number 12, verses 4 and 5. It's in Romans chapter 12 that the Bible introduces this concept that the church, the called out, commissioned community of Christ, 
is called to be a body, that we are a, an active, a, a living organism commissioned to credibly communicate Christ in a world that is literally dying for life and for hope and for peace. And this is our calling. This is what we, the church, the body of Christ, get to do. And just by way of review, look back at Romans chapter 12 with me. Verses 4 and 5. This is our, our foundation for the whole series. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and with Beyond Friday Night Lights Passion, tell them, get your belong on. Now, belong is a good word. It, it means, it, it, it's, it's actually got a couple of different uses. One use that we talk about is, is a place to belong. We, that we, we have a need to belong, to connect at a soul-deep level with other people. And we're not going to connect soul-deep with, with hundreds of people across our life, even though within the community of faith we are connected by Christ at a soul-deep level. The fact is that there, there's going to be a small number, a small number of people with whom we really and truly connect at a soul deep level. Jesus had 12, but even amongst the 12, there, there were three in particular that he really connected with. There, there, was, there were Peter and James and John. You know what's fascinating? I had never noticed this until Julie, my wife, pointed this out to me. If you read the Gospel of John, John always refers to himself like he's being humble, but he always calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. That's pretty good. If you get to write one of the Gospels, you can call yourself that. But, but even amongst the 12, there were those three that Jesus particularly poured into. There were those three that were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. There were those three that, that were right there with him until the very end of his earthly life when he was hanged on a cross. But I wonder this morning, what would your three look like? If you were to call roll, if you were to say, hey, I want you to meet my three, how would they stack up spiritually? How, how would your three, if you've got one, hopefully we've all hopefully got those kind of people in our lives, but are they people who who love God with everything that they have, people who will tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear? Or are they three kind of close acquaintances? I was at lunch this week with, with a friend of mine from out of town, and we were getting up to leave when all of a sudden two men started to approach us. I was kind of like getting ready to bow up. I was like, man, don't make me throw down in a restaurant. But as I looked up, it was two friends of mine from college. Guys that I hadn't talked to in years. One of them I hadn't talked to for 30 plus years. And it was like all of a sudden we were right back there together. These were guys that I was pledge brothers with. We, we, we went through a lot together and, and saw a lot and did a lot. And all of a sudden we were like, man, it's great to see you. How's life? And, you know, we all were, you know, 30 years older. All of us had a little less hair. But all of a sudden we were back. But but these are guys that, that I know, we have shared experiences, but they're, they're, not, they're not part of my three. The, the three, the three, 
the three really gets to this verb belong because as it's used here in Romans 12, it's not just a place to belong. It's, it's actually belonging to each other. The number one of my three is, of course, my wife, Julie. Man, we, we belong to each other. We, she is in it to win it, Jack. And we've, we've been in it to win it for 27 blissful years. We've had our moments, but I correct my mistakes and we move on. <laughs> but, but you see, we belong to each other. In, in a very real way, there's a, there's a God-honoring, personally fulfilling ownership principle. We, we belong to each other. And then there, there are other men in my life, men that, that have got kind of a, an open-door policy. They, they can ask me anything, anytime. These are the people that, they're, they're, they're the iron sharpening iron in my life, the accountability that, that flows out of community and affinity. But who's your three? As we, it's one thing for us to, to walk in here on the weekends and affirm the value of community and beyond Friday Night Lights and remember when Mark Luttrell and Taylor Kitsch were here and, and that's all well and good unless we don't do anything about it. And fortunately, Romans chapter 12 moves very quickly from this, this concept introduction to concept instruction. As you follow verses 4 and 5, look at what the Bible says in verses 6, 7, and 8. It says, now look, we belong to each other, and in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. You've got gifts, I've got gifts, we've all got gifts according to the grace of God to do certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Now, it's important, I want to take just a quick time out here. In this context, to prophesy doesn't mean to foretell the future. That's what we usually think about as, in terms of prophets or, or prophesying. But prophesying is speaking a word for God to God's people. That, that's what it means to prophesy. And in our context, the, the scripture is closed. It is, it is completed. And so in our context, we're no longer receiving necessarily new revelations from God, but we're expanding and expounding on those that he's given to us in scripture. Some people have the gift of doing that. That's, that's what it means to prophesy. So speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. Whatever your gift is, whatever my gift, we have been offered these gifts as an expression of God's grace. The second a person comes to faith in Christ, that person receives spiritual gifts. These are different from our innate, inborn talents. And, and usually there's a lot of overlap, but they're different. It, it's possible for a person who has never been able to, to speak publicly, the second they come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit gives them the gift of teaching or prophesying. And all of a sudden, this gift comes into existence they never even thought about exhibiting or demonstrating. But whatever your gift is, whatever my gifts are, 
use those gifts. Now, here's what's interesting. There's a, there's a fascinating dynamic at play, but you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit. Each one of these gifts is given to individuals. You've got gifts. I've got gifts. Tell your neighbor like you mean it. I got gifts. Now tell them, you're gifted too. Isn't that nice? How many of y'all got too much encouragement this week? Let me just see a show of hands. I think that's part of what we're supposed to do in church. Encourage each other. You got gifts. But you've been given these gifts as an individual to give these gifts to the community. Every single one of the gifts that's listed here in Romans 12 and others throughout the New Testament, all of them are always, say always, always designed to be experienced and expressed in the context of community, in the context of being a part of the family of faith. And so this idea that this this relationship with God is private, that is so cute. It's just wrong. It's personal. Jesus meets us right where we are to be sure but never for the purposes of experiencing our faith in a vacuum. Our faith always reaches its fullest fruition, its clearest, most beautiful expression in the context of community as we use the gifts that God has given us for the good of other people. That's true of every blessing God gives us. Every single blessing you've ever been given is a blessing to you and for you, no doubt. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. But every blessing and gift that he gives is designed to bless others, every single one. So when you receive a gift, the first step is not to be, whoa, I'm awesome. But instead is to say, God, where should I use it? How do you want me to use this gift? How do you want me to use this blessing? And spiritual gifts are absolutely part of that equation. So I wonder this morning, those of us in the room who go by the name Christian, how many of us know what our spiritual gifts are? How many of us know how we're supposed to be benefiting and blessing the body of Christ? Let me tell you the best way to discover them. Go to work. Go to work. Work. When I was feeling like God was possibly calling me into ministry in high school, I went to a, a mentor that I will forever be indebted to, and I said, I think, I don't, I don't really know, I've never done this before, but I think I'm called into ministry. He said, Mac, do everything. I was like, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Whatever you get the opportunity to do, do it. If somebody asks you to lead a Bible study, do it. Just understand the first few times you do it, you're going to be lousy, and that's okay. Get help. But if they ask you to work in the grounds crew at the church, work in the grounds crew at the church. If they ask you to lead children's choir, I know you can't sing or have any rhythm, lead children's choir. But by doing, you will discover your calling. You will discover what you're good at. You'll discover a lot of what you don't want to do. How many of you are married right now? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you, before you got married, dated your wife or husband? Okay, good. 
I'm trying to bring back arranged marriages, but I haven't been successful so far. <laughs> Having said that, most, most of dating is a process of elimination. Would somebody help me preach? I'm just saying, very, very few of us, like, date one person and get married and stay married for the rest of their lives. Most of dating is a process of elimination. We're discovering mostly what we don't want to spend the rest of our lives with. But man, when you see it, because you've been through that process, I remember exactly where I was. The night that God hit me on the, in the forehead like a two-by-four and said, if you don't marry Julie, you're an idiot. That's how God speaks to me. But... <laughs> But he was right. I, I could take you to exactly where I was in her aunt and uncle's kitchen in Houston, Texas. And, and it just like, I mean, it was, I didn't hear the, an audible voice of God, but I knew. I knew. Because, man, I had been through some kind of process of elimination prior to. Thank you for laughing. Those, that's the laugh of recognition. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, the same thing is true. Dig in and do something. Be, be a part of something. And, and that's easy to say, but, but I think we have to decide that we actually will, that, that we really and truly will. Look at how Romans 12 continues on, verses 9 through 11. It's almost, it's almost like God knows how our minds operate. Look at what he says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Can I take just a time out there real quick? Go ahead and pull that down. Don't, don't, don't pretend. It's almost like God knew at the very beginning when he ordained, when he commissioned the church to be the body of Christ. It's almost like he knew that, that we would be tempted to pretend. We, we would be, we'd be tempted to play at church, to, to you know, show up from time to time, kind of check off our to-do list. Yeah, be a good guy or a good girl. And that's why he says here, don't, don't just pretend. Don't, don't just play at it. Really love others. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in lifting each other up, celebrating each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy, but work hard at the things of God for God. Enthusiastically. Man, isn't it cool? Let's, let's be honest. Isn't it amazing when you pull in the parking lot at Lake Hills Church and there are people out in the parking lot, regardless of the weather. I know today it was frigid, like 68 degrees. <laughs> but even when it's, when it's 112 on black asphalt and there are people out there waving, whew, come on. You're like, I like it here. Kind of, you know, punch the gas a little bit. Oh, we're in the parking lot still. But... But it's that enthusiasm, enthusiasm. You know, enthusiasm actually has a spiritual origin. 
The word enthusiasm means in Godism. Enthus in theos is where the word comes from. Enthusiasm. It is a God-honoring excitement, a God-honoring expectation that God's up to something. He's going to do something, and therefore, I'm going to be in concert. I'm, I'm going to work with God. I, you know, I, I told you back down the road in this series that, that it was really born out of some real-life experiences, some, some observations that we had a chance to, to, to make over time. And, and I told you that for, for whatever reason, especially over the last, I don't know, 18 months or so, Julie and I and others on our staff have, have really had a front row seat and in some cases been on the field with folks who have gone through some very, very real struggles. And I don't mean like the day-to-day, -day, you know, kind of knick-knack, ticky-tack stuff. I'm talking about real defining moment Pivotal times in life, struggles and hurts, challenges. And, and the circumstances were all different. For everything from depression to addiction to PTSD to divorce and, and all points in between. But we noticed one common thread running through all of these struggles, particularly amongst the people who, who hurt the deepest and the longest. And that common thread was isolation. That for, for whatever reason, and usually there was a, a number of reasons, but for whatever reason, they were isolated. They, they were not connected to anybody in their lives, really, at, at a soul-deep level. And we also noticed another commonality, and that was that there were people who struggled and hurt just as deeply, but not as, as long. They, they didn't struggle or hurt as long, and as a matter of fact, they came through the challenge or the pain on the other side, and they lived to tell about it, and it was, it was a source of, of strength for them. It was a source of, of faith building in their own spiritual journey. Ryan and Lori Hahn are, are one example of that latter description that I just laid out for you. Ryan and Lori are members of our church. They're, to Julie and me and our family, they're, they're like family. And they've been in our church for a long time. And within the last year, they experienced, and, and by the way, they demonstrated this, this idea of, of community in ways that they never would have chosen, but displayed and demonstrated the love and the peace and the comfort of God. And I want to share with you just a little bit of their story. Watch this. Hey, Ryan. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm sorry. Uh, I love you, man. Hey, Lori. Wanted to call and tell you we're thinking about you and your sweet family. Please let us know how we can help. Love you guys. Bye. Hi, sweet friend. Left you a little something on your front porch. We love y'all so much. Hey, bud. Just called to let you know that we're praying for you. We love you guys. If there's anything y'all need, just give us a call. Take care. Wanting a family was always a part of the plan, and it just took a little longer for us than expected. Even though we struggled with having a child, we just we knew how rewarding it would, would be 
both now and for eternity. We've been married about five years once we had Hudson. We were new parents and just settling into our routine. Hudson was about eight months old and we found out that God had chosen us to be parents again. We started going in for all of our appointments and everything looked awesome. Growing healthy, found out it was a boy, which I was very excited about. And uh, as we went along, everything was clicking along great. You know, coming from out of town, I was on my last business trip of the year and we had a routine, you know, appointment for the 24 week ultrasound. We were in with a sonographer and a echocardiogram of Owen's heart didn't look normal. But we were told that day that there's definitely a congenital heart defect. Um, you know, we just prayed for God's clarity and for God to make the decisions so that we didn't have to. And so on January 3rd, we met with the doctor. The conversation with her was that this heart defect, which is the worst heart defect there is, of those, this was the most complicated one that she's ever seen. We responded and probably surprised her and said, thank you. We were asking for clarity. We were asking God to, to take us in whatever direction he wanted us to go. And it was, at, it was at that point that we knew that God needed Owen and our time would be limited with him. We got home that night on December 21st and uh, were elated to see our son. He came running up to us, Hudson, and um, was such a light in a very sad day. And as we shared the news with Ryan's parents, we all cried together as a family and they went home and about five minutes after they left, um, Hudson started throwing up. Our first child having his first stomach virus, we were panicked and we were just shot emotionally, mentally, spiritually, everything. And all three of us are sitting in the bathtub together and um, I don't even remember who, but one of us just like cried out like, God, we can't do this. You have to be here right now. And all of a sudden, both of us felt a peace and a presence and a power that I've never felt before and um, it never left. We felt like our community, our friends, you know, we, we needed to talk about this and we wanted to of course share with family and our inner circle close friends. And it was hard putting it out there and sharing because we were terrified. We knew that there was a lot of non-believers around us who might be angry about the news, but we just didn't want people to to turn away from God because of Owen, and and we knew that um, we knew that God specifically chose us to be Owen's parents, and we had to walk this journey, and that we were the ones to bear this so that we can share the good news that there is hope, there is joy after feeling broken. Ryan had been going to Lake Hills for two years prior to us dating, and since we were long distance, I would come in town on the weekends, and we would go to church together, and we just knew Lake Hills was going to be an awesome church home for us. Through the nine years of going to Lake Hills Church, um, we've been involved in connect groups and leading connect groups, Mobilos and Fishes, um, other serve teams, LHC Kids, um, really getting connected with a lot of those families. And they encouraged us to join Bible studies. At first we were like, man, we're doing all these other things, maybe we can't work this in. Um, and then being on staff for four years, I mean, there's been so many opportunities for us to dive in, maybe even more so than the normal person. 
but just um, that we did dive in and who, we didn't know obviously we were going to be facing something like this but you can just see how God put us in each of these roles in each of these places for a purpose and that these people would turn around and be our community has just overwhelmed us in ways that we can't describe. The amazing thing about community is that and especially a larger church community is that there are other people that have walked through something like this before. It's a, a small community, but there's a lot more people that have been through it than you probably are aware of. And what they shared with us was what God wanted us to hear. And he helped use those people to tell us what we needed to know at that time and that day and that moment to survive and to be okay with what was going on. April 3rd at 5.30 in the morning, we were scheduled to arrive to labor and delivery. And, and if y'all know me, I was five or 10 minutes late. We got on the elevator and went upstairs. And of course, we we're very tired and we got off the elevator and we were surprised that three of our pastors were sitting in the lobby before we even arrived. And we didn't expect that. And we really hadn't asked for it or anything like that, but they were there. It just made that day so much so much easier. Owen was literally too perfect for this earth. He was so sweet, so cuddly, great eater, did not fuss. Don't tell Hudson, he was a way better baby. Um, he was so, so sweet. And because we had those five days, we felt like we were able to really experience who he was and, and enjoy like a little bit of his personality. There was a lot of emotional ups and downs. As much as I knew I had my faith to cling to and I knew that I could cry out to Jesus and he would answer, you know, it doesn't mean that you didn't have days where you're crying in your closet and that it hasn't been a struggle over the last several months, but it definitely means that there's hope um, and that I could enjoy those, that time with him because that was all I had. So I had to cherish every second I had. I would describe that time as, you know, one of the most enjoyable five days of our lives. Um, I just felt pure joy. I felt an instant connection to him. And um, I just felt pure joy. I had him right here. I wasn't thinking about what's gonna happen in a day, what's gonna happen in six hours, what's gonna happen in six weeks, whatever. I just said today, like, I'm just joyful and I'm so happy. Owen was a name that we always liked. When we learned of, of Owen's condition, the middle name Shepherd just seemed like the perfect name. Because we hoped that he would shepherd other people to God, that's ultimately what we're all here on earth for and we just prayed that he would guide others to you and point others to you and shepherd in this case so it was the perfect name it's amazing to, to think that our god's so big and so powerful that he can get you through your child you know passing away in your arms and you can survive it and and his grace by his grace and his compassion we we survived and we we feel and thrived. and thrived and we feel his compassion every day it's not it's not a struggle you know there's days that are struggled and there's days that are difficult but we get to enjoy hudson we get to have him for our lives on earth and then when we get to heaven we'll have owen to join us and that's something that you look forward to expectantly like it's hard for me to say but i feel like it was worth it I feel like in the end, if people come to know our God through our child's life, it was worth it.
we all have different gifts according to the grace given us. I hope that I never have, I hope that I never have to know a pain that palpable. But Lord, Lord, give me a faith that powerful. To be able to say it was worth it and to mean it. Not because it's the right thing to say or because people are going to hear it and think this or that, but because you mean it. And I thought, how, how, do, you, how do you get there? And then, then I remembered, because of Ryan and Lori's example, because of their faith that taught the preacher, I remembered it's, it's ROI. It's, it, it's return on investment. What you invest, you will receive back, pressed down and spilling over. It, it's it, it's this, this immutable, never-changing law that 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. It, it's, it's sowing and reaping, it's planting and harvesting and and by the grace of God, Ryan and Lori have done the hard work of sowing into the community of Christ. They have invested themselves in their lives. And so when they needed, when they hurt, the community was there. You showed up for them. You dropped meals at their front doorstep without putting a name on it so that they wouldn't have to send you a thank you note. You, you rallied around them. We were the church in that moment. We were never more the body of Christ than in those moments. And it's those moments that remind us this thing really matters. It's not something to play at. This, the body of Christ matters. Because not only are we commissioned to be the body of Christ, we're commissioned to do the bidding of Christ. To mourn with those who mourn, to celebrate with those who celebrate. Some of us to prophesy, some of us to encourage, some of us to give, some of us to lead. This ain't for play. If church for you is just showing up from time to time, why bother? Now, let me say this very quickly. Some of you, some of you in this room, you, you've walked in the doors for the first time today, and for you, that's a major investment, major investment, because you, you had to overcome years of presuppositions or, or maybe even fears or, you know, what are those people really like? And we're just like you. And so for you to even be in the room today is a major investment. And, man, we celebrate that. That's awesome. We go, way to go. Keep coming. Keep
Keep bringing it. Keep bringing your questions. Go ahead, ask if this is valid, if this stands up intellectually, philosophically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Check it out. But, but there are those of us in the room who, candidly, you're just faking it. You're just, you're just playing at it. And, man, what a time. What a time to be alive, to be the light of the world to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus at a time when our world is literally dying for it. So, we ain't playing no mo. As a church, today is the end of the series, but it's the beginning of something new and better. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And as you bow your heads, I want you to know that my prayer is never that we'll be the biggest church or this, that, or the other, but that we will be the healthiest congregation we have been called to be by Christ. And healthy means that all of us are doing something that all of us are participating in the work. And in this moment, I want to make sure that you understand it all begins in a relationship with Jesus. It all is sustained and driven by a relationship with Jesus. It all is consummated and perfected in a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you've never begun a relationship, you've never stepped into that, we want to invite you to. We want to invite you to step into that relationship By, by praying a prayer of commitment. A prayer of belonging to Jesus. If that's you, then you pray in your own words something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I give you my life, every part of it holding nothing back. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. Just for a moment more, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed, eyes closed in reverence for this moment, for what God is doing in people's lives. And if that was your prayer, 
man, this is the biggest moment of your life. <laughs> Talk about let's do this. And as a family, we want to help. Not only with this moment, with, but with every moment that follows. So if you would, I want to ask you to fill out the Connect card that's in your program. Just open up the program right now and begin filling it out. You'll notice there's a, a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you've completed that, just tear it off at the perforation and on your way out, hand it to one of our ushers. And also, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand and hold it high over your head for a brief moment. Your hand in the air indicates physically that something just happened spiritually. And so as a church, we honor that and we celebrate that as a family with you. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.